Hello and welcome to the History of Vikings. Today I'm so excited to be joined by my dear friend Hilbert, who has been on the podcast before. Of course, the creator behind the acclaimed History YouTube channel, History with Hilbert, going on uh, something like 160,000 subscribers. Uh, and Hilbert is so passionate about history and many different time periods in history. His YouTube channel, you can find videos from everything about the discovery and settlement of Iceland to the Zulu War and the Spanish Civil War, and uh, his videos are just so well made and they're so insightful and filled with knowledge, and I was a fan of that YouTube channel long before I started my podcast, so it's a real treat to be speaking with you again today, Hilbert. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you for the lovely introduction. It's always an honor to be here, and I'm really pleased that we can have another chat about Vikings. It feels like a long time ago now that we first had this discussion, but I'm looking forward to it again. Me too. Me too. It was. It was uh, one of the first episodes of this podcast. But, you, you know, you recently made a video uh, about the Viking Age, and it was titled, Why Did the Viking Age Begin? And this is a question which we haven't often asked on this podcast, so I'm excited to discuss it with you today. If one is to ask that question, why did the Viking Age begin, um, how should we go about answering it? How is it that the Vikings, you know, during the 800s or 793, whatever date you want to consider the start of the Viking Age, how is it that the Vikings were able to emerge for the first time the Scandinavians were able to emerge onto the main stage of, of Europe. So I think what's important to ask before we ask the, the question in question is to ask what we actually mean by the Viking Age, because it's important to know what we're talking about, what's different from, say, before the Viking Age begins to during the Viking Age. And most people will date the Viking Age from 793 with the first raid on Lindisfarne to 1066, the Battle of Stamford Bridge and the death of Harald Hadrada. But both of these dates are rather Anglo-centric, as in they both happened within England, and in many ways, they aren't either the start of the Viking Age nor the end of the Viking Age. For example, you had in Dublin, you had descendants of Norse rulers there, right up until the Normans, whereas 793 isn't actually the first time that Scandinavians came to England and were hostile. For example, in 785, you have written in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle that the reeve at Portland in Dorset was hacked to death by Scandinavians who came and landed on the beach. So we really have to question what do we actually mean by the Viking Age before we look at why it started. But I think to answer that question, which I've just posed myself, is really to ask who were the Vikings and where did they come from? And of course, this is rather than being an ethnic label, if we look at what the etymology of the word suggests, this is more of a profession of going Viking, going out across the sea and taking land. And of course, this is what we first see. This is the raids that occur that start to occur at the end of the 8th century and continue into the 9th century. Although the nature of this does change, these get bigger, they get better and more organized and of course are later followed by migrations as well. Interesting, interesting. So why did the Vikings go a Viking? Um, why did the Scandinavians start raiding and sacking Christian monasteries in, in coastal villages? Was it more than just a lust for gold and a lust for silver? Is there something more to why the Vikings went to Viking? I think yes and no are the answers to that question, because on, on the one hand, it is just there was an opportunity, there was a lot of silver that was going unguarded in these monasteries, and some smart Scandinavian figured it out and they went and got it. and. That is a, a correct answer. I think we shouldn't 
overlook the very simplistic, there was wealth, they had the means, and so they did it. But there are many factors for why it occurred then and why it hadn't occurred, say, a hundred years earlier when there was just as much wealth in the monasteries and there were just as many Scandinavians in Scandinavia ready to go. And I think a lot of these factors, you can group them into external and internal factors. So external factors could be, for example, that a lot more silver was coming up the rivers uh, from the uh, caliphate around Baghdad, that this changed hands around uh, the turn of the 8th century, where you have the uh, Umayyad caliphate, which had been very much a warrior caliphate, being uh, changed to being uh, renewed, let's say, or a different dynasty coming in, the Abbasids, who were much more money-oriented. And so silver started to come up, and so the Swedes got wind of this with the people they were trading with, and so they were becoming richer, and then the Danes might have been looking over to their neighbours and thinking, hold on a minute, how come, uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll mention something, Svein, Svein's wife has this really nice new necklace, and you know my wife doesn't, so maybe I should go and get one too. Or, for example, the Franks, that they start to consolidate their power to take over areas that had once been uh, populated by the Germanic peoples, a similar North Sea culture to the one in Scandinavia, like in Frisia and Saxony. And suddenly they felt incredibly threatened by these new Christians who then had the right to go and conquer their own lands. All of this really sort of comes together, these external pressures. And if you mix that in with internal pressures of consolidation of power and uh, lots of people having to... Uh, flee away, whether that's because of tyranny, as it sometimes says in the sagas, although we're not sure whether we should really trust the sagas too much when it says that so many people fled uh, to different lands and raided there because of uh, like Harold Fairhair, for example, as it says in the Icelandic sagas. But then possibly also because of things like overpopulation or the fact there wasn't enough good land to go around, or perhaps even things like a gender imbalance, that there were far more men than there were women. And so this created problems at a societal level. And so that for that reason, men had to go out and to get silver and women and land elsewhere. And that that was the great push for the Viking Age. And honestly, I think there's probably truth in all of these things coming together at various points and that these factors slowly led up to the Viking Age in the way that, would, that it would erupt in the late 8th century. So when talking about the beginning of the Viking Age, what sort of conflicts are we dealing with here? What are the conflicts that really start the Viking Age and the ones that really uh, give the Vikings the reputation that they have to this day? Well, to begin with in the Viking Age, we're talking about hit and run raids. You know, these were not large armies. They weren't attacking big cities. In fact, the first time that they attack really big cities is about half a century after that they attack these first raids on unguarded small monasteries. And probably when we're talking about these raids, we're only speaking about one or two, maybe three longships, so around or maybe even less than 100 men. So it's really small scale, it's probably quite locally organised, maybe a local chief, anyone who could really get three ships together and equip them with men and weapons could go out and do this, because you know to attack a monastery of unguarded monks and take the silver, you don't really need to have an elite team of fighters. Whereas later on in the Viking Age, this would become more and more organized as Scandinavia became more and more centralized so that you had men who could organize these great expeditions and uh, armies and things like the Great Heathen Army in 865. But it all started rather small scale with attacks on Lindisfarne in 793. You have attacks on Iona in 794 and also Rathlin Island in 795. So that's going over the other side so to the Scottish Isles and also the north coast of Ireland. And then you get these continuing raids on these monastic sites mostly, also down the south coast of England and Saint-Philibert in the north of France. And then around the start of the 9th century, you also get raids occurring in Frisia on the uh, harbour city 
of Dorestat, a very important trading town. And from there, they slowly get bigger. And then you start to get larger skirmishes with sort of the, the troops that would be guarding the coast. So in England, for example, uh, against the men of Wessex and also with the Franks. And then around the middle of the ninth century, it, it really starts to get much bigger scale. And of course, in 865, you have the great heathen army landing, the Mikkelherre in Old English, the great army. And this is a, a clear distinction between what had come before and it really is a forerunner of what was to come. So when talking about the initial conflicts of the Viking Age, what are sort of the strengths and weaknesses of the Vikings and their adversaries, namely the Anglo-Saxons? Did the Vikings militarily bring anything unique to the table in the way they did warfare? I think, I think they did, but I feel like there's often this myth that is pervasive today, just as it was back then, of the kind of unbeatable Vikings that the Vikings were somehow far superior warriors than their contemporaries, the Franks and the Anglo-Saxons. Whereas there are plenty examples from history to prove this utterly wrong, like the Battle of Eddington, for example, uh, or in France as well, when uh, Ludwig defeated the Vikings on several occasions as they were defeated in Ireland at the Battle of Clontarf and, and this kind of thing. But I think that individually, one-on-one, the Vikings weren't much better than the Anglo-Saxons or the Franks, but rather it was the tactics that they employed and um, especially the mobility that they had. Now, of course, the longship is the key to their strategy, especially to begin with. It meant that they could sail very quickly from one place to another. And the fact that the um, keel of the ship wasn't too deep meant they could sail right the way up rivers and attack using the rivers to, that bisect the country, as they did in England and in Francia. So they could sail right down to Paris over the Seine, and they could drag their boats over bits of water that were harder to pass. But as well as doing this, they didn't just do the hit-and-run attacks as they had done at the start of the Viking Age, like I already talked about. But as they started to get to know the areas they attacked better, they would always send out spies and scouts and get to know the terrain before they actually attacked. So they were very careful planners. But they also then realized that really the Anglo-Saxons and the Franks, their system of raising troops was very much to pull the peasants out of the field and to give them weapons and then make them fight. So they understood that actually the armies they were facing were largely made up of conscripts who didn't want to be there and so couldn't stay in the field for very long. So they pioneered their tactics to seize a structure or a, a farmhouse and then to fortify this area. In Ireland, they did this with long forts, which were these ships where they would use their ships and then they would make stakes and palisades around them. So they'd have a fortified camp. In England, they did this at Reading, where they were besieged by the West Saxons and the Mercians. And all the time, their enemies would come and they would besiege them. But the Vikings understood that the people in the army, the bulk of the armies that they were facing, were the farmers from the fields. And so they could only stay out under military service for so long because they wanted to get back to their farms and they had to do the harvest. So by making these fortified camps, the Vikings would pull out all of the enemy army and they would besiege them. And they would never take one of these camps in case it, it was incredibly rare that this happened. I think it, they were only successful in Francia in taking camps on, on several occasions, but the vast majority of the time, the enemy army gave up the siege because they needed to send the farmers back home to the fields. And so in this case, this tactic proved very, very effective. And that's why Alfred's great success was to build lots of forts around the country and to split the population in two so that half of the men would be working the fields and the other would be on military service so that he didn't have the same problem and that's why he was so effective at fighting the Vikings. Or, well, that's one of the reasons. 
Now, when talking about the initial battles of the, the Viking Age, are these what, what, are the, what are some things that we should keep in mind? Are these mainly small skirmishes as opposed to large-scale battles? I know earlier you mentioned sort of hit-and-run tactics. Are there any sort of naval conflicts, or are these all mainly coastal land engagements? Well, I think what's important to remember is that the Vikings actually preferred not to fight any battles, especially not ones that they thought that they would lose or lose many men with, because their primary goal when they're Vikings, especially at the start of the Viking Age, these small-scale operations, is just to take silver and wealth and to go back again. So fighting a big battle isn't really in your interest if that's what you're after. And a lot of the time when the Vikings do fight, because they are far more mobile than their adversaries using their longships, and oftentimes also buying horses from the local population. The Great Heathen Army did this when they went to East Anglia. They used horses to ride north to Yorkshire, as well as in Frisia. There was actually Uh, I believe in the late 9th century, the Frankish emperor banned the sale of horses to Scandinavians because he realized that this is how they were getting around so quickly. So really, the the first, at the start of the Viking Age, the Vikings, as often as they could, avoided open battle. And when they did fight, they fought when they knew they could win, when they had uh, command of the battlefield. And that's why they were very successful early on and why this myth was created that the Vikings were unbeatable. So a lot of the time, the Franks, the Frankish armies would run when the Vikings came and they wouldn't stand and fight. And that caused the Frankish emperors a lot of headaches. Now, when talking about why the Viking Age began uh, and sort of our sources for this, are there any pieces of literature, any Anglo-Saxon accounts or other accounts detailing these first raids, something that might give us a glimpse as to what those initial raids and conflicts were really like? I mean, first-hand accounts are quite hard to come by, that we don't really have people writing in their diary, today the Vikings attacked my monastery. But we do have, of course, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, which was kept, even though this was kept later on, this was started in the reign of Alfred the Great, they did look back at earlier sources and records. So that's when we see, sort of, it says the year in which something happened, and then what happened. So that's where we get the raid on Lindisfarne and things like this being recorded there. But often these are being written down, we assume, in an ecclesiastical context, so by monks. So often the accounts that are added are are of the Vikings being absolutely horrendous, you know, devils from hell coming and murdering all the monks and beheading them and doing terrible things. So I think we should take them with a pinch of salt as to how they actually were. I mean, we don't know whether the raid on Lindisfarne was them coming and burning the place and killing all the monks. Or it was then showing up and roughly moving the monks aside while they took the silver and then going off again. We don't know exactly how, on which end of the scale this is. Because remember, the Scandinavians were also huge traders. They'd been trading around the North Sea for hundreds of years. So we don't know on which end of the spectrum of trading and raiding these first raids were. Now, progressing from sort of the beginning of the Viking Age to more of the the middle and eventual end of the Viking Age, we're dealing with a time period of arguably about 300 years. How did the Vikings go from just small war bands of maybe about 100 men and three Viking longships to more full-scale armies? You know, you talk about the great heathen army of the late 800s and the Danelaw, and you really had these full-scale armies of, of Viking warriors. And, and how, did, how did it go from you know, small parties of, small raiding parties to to full-scale armies? Mm, I think partially this is a a cycle that completes itself, because I think 
the key difference here is centralization that at the beginning of the viking age we well we know for certain there were no kings who ruled all of denmark or all of sweden or all of norway or anything like this but with the viking age with going off and getting silver and commanding men you will get winners and losers out of that and the winners could expect to rise significantly in the social hierarchy and that's where we start to see centralization occurring probably first in denmark so people becoming more powerful having more territory under their control, having more people that they can command and muster and do things with. And I think that's how eventually you get to the stage where you get bigger armies, because then these people would extend uh, the areas they had power and influence over, probably partially because they were going over the sea and they were raiding and they were getting silver uh, and earning respect from men and getting military experience, that you then get to the stage where they were able to, instead of commanding just a few longships, they were able to get together 10, 20, 30 longships full of men. Uh, and obviously that would be you know, up to 10,000 men along those lines. And then finally talking about how the Viking Age ended, we're just doing sort of a, a brief history of this 300-year period for, for a moment. Uh, that After you have the full-scale armies, you really start to centralize power politically. You really start to get kings such as Harold Bluetooth or Hack on the Good, and you really start to have people developing proper kingdoms with more full-scale armies. Is that right? And in talking about the end of the Viking Age, I mean, you know, we talked about why the Viking Age began, but then how did it end? How did it begin with small parties of of warriors raiding in search of gold and, and possibly glory? And then how did it end with sort of these proper countries, these these kingdoms that become modern Scandinavia? I think it's all part of an evolutionary trail that they follow, that they started from the very first raid. And with the very first raids, it's a simple case of sailing across the sea, getting silver and sailing back again. But very soon already, when they were out raiding and attacking with the Franks and the Anglo-Saxons, they realized actually you can probably earn a lot more money by threatening to attack and then being paid off with ransom. Now, in England, we often call this Danegeld, although if you look into the history of that word, it has a, a more specific meaning of paying off an army. So you also have another term, which is the Heregeld, which is the army money that's paid, or the Jaffo uh, in Old English, which is a, a term of tribute. So they realized quite quickly, actually, in both England and in Francia, that if they came and they sat outside a, a city or a monastery, you know, raiding the land around in their longships and said, we'll go away, but you have to pay us X amount of silver, that you can earn a lot more by doing that than by going around and actually physically taking the silver from the monasteries. And so sort of the tactic of the Vikings changes. And this is the tactic that's employed by Svein Forkbeard, for example, with King Ethelred in England around the turn of the 11th century, that he would come with a huge fleet and then demand tribute and go away for a couple of years and then come back again and do it all over again. So this is really an evolution in Viking tactics, but also we have to look at how Scandinavia was changing. Svein Folkbeard was the second noted king to be king of all Denmark, the son of Harald Bluetooth. And both Harald Bluetooth and Svein were both Christians. So you have the change in religion. Of course, the Norse religion was very much focused on warriors and war and dying and going to Valhutl and all of this kind of thing. But in Christianity, it's, it's less of a thing, the raiding kind of tradition. Although this definitely didn't stop people like Harold Bluetooth and Svein from going off and doing a bit of raiding and being violent. And of course, his son then Knut would also do the same things. But Knut is 
really arguably you could say not much of a Viking Age king because he's king in both England and in Denmark and becomes king or overlord over Norway as well. So it's already moving from that old kind of Viking idea of going off and raiding. He clearly isn't going off and raiding places because he's the king of these places. And of course, going off and raiding is not really in your interest when you are an actual king and can get much more money from taxation, for example. And to get better taxation, you centralize more. And so that kind of is the big shift away from the Viking Age as the Scandinavians are slowly Christianized and as they are brought into the fold, let's so to speak, of the Middle Ages with the rest of Europe. They, it becomes more in their interest to become more like other European countries. Although, as I said, this is a slow process. And even though Spain is the, the second generation and Knut is the third generation of Christian Danish kings, they did both all go to England and raid to begin with. But there is this move away. It's no longer the small higgledy-piggledy sort of unorganized kind of hit-and-run raids that offer very immediate profit. The, the world has changed by the turn of the 11th century. And then by the time of Harald Hadrada, the reason he invades England is because of a claim of Knut. So this is, again, a, a claim that's given by God rather than going off and raiding as had been at the start of the Viking Age. Well, Hilbert, there's so much literature when talking about the Viking Age, I mean, if you're the Vikings left behind a legacy of so much, I mean, military conquest, uh, myth, language, legend, you name it. That's why I'm so fascinated with the Viking Age and have been able to do a podcast about it uh, successfully for quite some time. But do you have any personal favorite stories to do with the Viking Age? Maybe favorite myths, favorite sagas that, that really, in your view, um, are what the Viking Age is all about? I think there's so much about the Viking Age, it's, it's hard to answer that question down. But I think a lot of the time with the Vikings, it's their kind of adventure and mystery about them that still stands out to us today. So reading, for example, if you look at the exploits of Hastein, who um, is, was a Danish warlord who went with Björn Ironside to the Mediterranean and how he got into the city of Luna, even though he thought it was Rome was on the coast of Italy by pretending to have died and then hiding in the coffin and bursting out, which is actually incorrectly attributed to the siege of Paris in Vikings, but it actually happened in, in Luna in Italy. It's these kind of stories of the Vikings, of, of being very vivid characters that really brings them to life. Or another example is Harald Hadrada, who his, his epithet means the hard ruler, Hadrada. But then the fact that he sits and he has a uh, a chat with a fisherman when he's out and about in his war fleet. You know, it's kind of these stories of these adventurers who went off and, and did things back in the day that I think really stand out and make the Vikings special to us today, that they were kind of the last mad lads going out and having, well, if not a good time, at least the kind of desire for adventure, which I think even after the, the conversion to Christianity is, is definitely still a key theme uh, for the, the Scandinavian peoples, for the Vikings. Certainly. Well, Hilbert, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. It's been a delight speaking with you again. Obviously, everyone listening, I encourage to go check out your YouTube channel and subscribe History with Hilbert. There will be a link in the description below. But Hilbert, before I let you go, is there anything that you would like our listeners to keep in mind as they read and research for themselves about the Viking Age, and they continue to ask themselves that question, why did it all begin? 
I think probably a good way to look at it is not to take one answer or the first answer that you read, but to have a look at various different sources, especially the primary sources, and to question, well, what, what is it actually saying, but why would it be saying that? And to make your own judgments based not only on that, but also what there is in archaeological evidence, and also with secondary sources by looking at what other historians have said, to kind of make your own mind up. And to journey through all of these various sources, I think, is a, a very important and a very key skill when looking at the start of the Viking Age and to see if you can find patterns and maybe how these different factors interlink with one another, I think, is a, a very good thing to keep in the back of your mind when you're looking at a question like, why did the Viking Age begin? Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, Hilbert, thank you so much again for joining me today. I will put a link to your YouTube channel in the description below, but thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Noah. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk about Vikings again. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to learn more about the Viking Age, visit my friends at Ancient History Encyclopedia and read their excellent array of articles on many facets of the Viking Age at ancient.eu. And of course, you will find links to these articles in the description of this episode. 